Well, if you are joining us after a little time away this summer, maybe just coming for the first time, we have concluded a series in Paul's letter to the Philippians, to a specific church, and now we're starting a series um, taking a closer look at what the church is. Um, and we're we're going to frame that study around several questions. What is the church? What do we do? Uh, when is a church healthy? And so forth. And uh, in, in a topical series like this, we're using several different passages to help us understand what God thinks and how, what His um, thoughts are in regards uh, to the church and what the church is to be about until Jesus comes back. So uh, you have several of these passages printed for you in your bulletin there to make reference to uh, as we go along. We started the series last week, so this is the second stop in what is going to be three stops in answering that first question. Uh, what is uh, the church? And so far, we've, we've said that the church is people, um, all different kinds of people, His chosen throughout all ages. Uh, we can see the church in places just like this uh, on Sunday morning, but the church is far bigger, much more uh, diverse than we can see at any uh, one time. The true Israel of God is a spiritual Israel that began so very long ago and is now renewed and restored in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who is the master, head of the church. And so, um, maybe you've heard the phrase, you've probably used it a few times, a picture paints a thousand words. Um, God's given us all of the senses uh, to work in such a way that we can understand uh, more of how He relates to us and we relate to Him. Um, let's ask the Lord's help as we think further about the church. Lord, we are in awe of Your mercy and Your grace. That You would choose us. That You would lavish us with Your love. That we might be called Your very own in the church. And Lord, we pray your hand of blessing upon us now as we consider this great and important question, what does that mean to be the church? Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us alone in this, uh, that you have given us what we need uh, to understand uh, life in the church and what we are to be about uh, as your people in this place. Uh, help us now, Lord. Uh, may the presence of your Spirit guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may recall the campaign that the Dove Corporation put on, I think it was several years ago now, uh, called Real Beauty Sketches. Remember this? And they had a couple of commercials, some ads, where they took a forensic artist and then they brought in, it was just women that I, that I saw brought into the room, and these women would sit on the other side of the curtain and he would ask them questions. You know, can you describe your hair for me? Or tell me about your cheekbones? Or how about your chin? And they would, they would answer and he would make a sketch. And he said, okay, thank you. He never saw them, and, and they were asked to leave the room and just make small talk with someone they didn't know outside the, outside the room. Just get to know that person a little bit. Well, then that person was brought in and asked the same questions about the first person. You know, tell me about her hair, and, and what, what did her eyes look like when you talked to her? And, and he painted a sketch. And then, you know, they would bring in uh, those who, who sat first, uh, to look at these sketches side by side. It was just amazing. Um, sent a very strong message because the portrait that they had painted of themselves and how they answered the question was fairly dark and, and gloomy, sad looking. It was attractive. 
And then when they compared it to the sketch of the other person who had just spent a little time with them and described them, it was lighter, happier, more attractive. Um, and so it really underscored this message and how, how we in general, these particular women, saw themselves as maybe less desirable than, than they are or less acceptable. Um, sometimes we need a good picture to help us understand who we are and who God has made us to be. It's a great power in uh, just an illustration, why children's books are full of, of illustrations and pictures to help guide our understanding, why the, the TV commercials and the, the billboards are full of pictures to appeal to our human makeup, what it is we want, what we all need. Um, these pictures really shape how we think about ourselves. Um, and sometimes our own experiences and the pictures we've seen in the church don't uh, convey a really good image, not a particularly helpful understanding of what the church uh, is, what it's intended to be. We don't describe ourselves well or very accurately to the sketch artists, which, by the way, is everyone outside the church asking the questions. Um, so God himself gives us images. Uh, he gives us these, these metaphors, how we should think about the church. And in doing so, he shows us two fundamental things, how he relates to us and how we are to respond to him and to others. And so we're going to look at three of the most prominent pictures this morning of the church uh, and examine those two aspects, how God relates and how we respond as his people. The first picture is that of a family. Some of you were, uh, were raised in this area. Um, you're from this area. You have family nearby that you get to see regularly. Many of you are not and have to travel a little ways uh, to see your family. Um, but we all know the unique dynamics and quirks of families. Um, you know, they're all different. They interact in different ways. Um, you have some news to share with a family. Maybe as you share this, you know you're going to share a little different with Grandpa Joe than you are with Aunt Matilda. Because they, well, you know their history and you know their personalities a little bit and how that information is going to be shared. My younger days, I knew when Grandpa and Grandma were coming over that they were going to ask me the same questions about school and about church. And so I'd kind of be formulating these answers already. I wanted to be honest. I wanted to be helpful. But you knew what was, what was coming. So our interaction among families, it, it lends itself to a greater transparency, greater honesty, patience. It's within families that we see the best and worst of each other. We have the greatest opportunity to love, to exercise forgiveness in families. Now, I'm well aware that not all family units are healthy and operate in this way. Um, I think the family is perhaps more fractured today uh, than it ever has been. But the family remains that fundamental building block of any society. We've been made to live in families. Why is this? Because it's something we have in ourselves, in our families. We have the imprint of the Creator. The triune God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is in Himself the perfect 
family. Perfectly relating to each other. Perfect unity, perfect authority and submission. So it's in the, in the nature of God himself that's uh, imprinted on the family, describing how a, a husband relates to a wife, a wife to a husband, how parents relate to their children. In fact, one of the family images we're given, it's in Ephesians 5, comparing husband and wife to Jesus and the church. There's a relationship here of authority and submission, love and respect, intimacy between Christ and the church, like a husband and bride. The church is to be kept pure, saving herself for the spousal affection of the Lord Jesus. Shows us how God relates to the church. Loving her, caring for her, protecting her, fighting for her, serving her. This is Jesus, the perfect and faithful husband. And so the church responds with with a deep affection, with love and respect, submitting herself unashamedly to the one who who loves her more than anyone else. There's no one I love more on this earth than my wife. The church is the bride of Christ. Come, the angel says to John in Revelation, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So Ephesians 5 ends with that imagery of husband and wife, but it begins with a family picture perhaps more well-known than all the others. Because we've been forgiven in Christ and are to be imitators of God as beloved children. All those who make up the church are sons and daughters of God. We're co-heirs of this eternal kingdom, right alongside Jesus, our elder brother, the firstborn. So in that glorious chapter, Romans chapter 8, this one is printed for you in the bulletin. Paul tells us, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Then later on in the chapter, verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So through the working of the Spirit of God, we are adopted into the family. He chose us. He's given us all the the family rights that a son or daughter would have. He's a father, a perfect father. To each one of you, individually, and to us together, the children of the living God. So church, do you really believe that you are loved that much? I think some of us, really all of us, but some of us, to a greater degree, are going to have a very hard time believing that God is the perfect husband and the perfect father. I'm I'm just getting to know many of you, but in a room this size, uh, some of you have been at the end of a husband's words or actions that have been anything but kind or gentle, or safe. Maybe you stayed with the kids when he's walked out for a time. Maybe for good. You know, we've seen our daddies ignore us when we needed them the most. Our daddies have taught us 
And rather than teaching us how to relate to other boys and girls or men and women through different seasons of life, they've taught us to lie when it's convenient, to bail out of relationships when it gets hard, to be tough, don't cry and show the pain. They've taught us that we need to to be perfect, do things just the right way in order to earn their acceptance and their approval. Um, Beloved in Christ, that is not your Heavenly Father. That is not your Heavenly Father. He knows everything about you. Yes, even that thing. He knows it. Um, And He loves you more than you could possibly imagine or dare hope. Um, He'll never turn on you. He will never abandon you. He'll never say something that He doesn't mean. Church, you're his child, his beloved bride. And yes, he does give life-giving commands and instruction. Yes, he disciplines us as his children, but this is done with only the the deepest affection and love that we we can scarcely conjure up as parents to our children or husband to wife now. Um, So Paul continues to use this family imagery. He writes to Timothy, uh, toward the end of his life, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. So even as a leader in the church, Timothy is he's still part of the family. And the appropriate family relationships need to be in place. Love, respect, purity, and so forth. The church should look like a family. We belong to one another in the Lord Jesus. So how can we look more like the family of God uh, here at at Trinity Fellowship? One of the things that my wife and I pray for and and hope is true in our home is that it's a safe place um, where the children can come with their concerns and their questions, their hurts, and know that they're going to be accepted, that they're not going to be pushed away. Um, Maybe painful to process at times. Maybe hard, but it's a place where they know that they're best interests, that their best God-glorifying interests are going to be upheld. Um, Is this church, is the family of God, that type of place? A place of safety where we can communicate in love, exercise genuine, yes, even sacrificial concern for each other. Um, Of course, that's not just tied to Sunday mornings. That's when we're hanging out at parents' night out, or you meet each other in the store, or you know, a small group gathering, um, maybe a place of confidentiality among brothers and sisters in the Lord, to share not what we think people want to hear, but what is really happening in our lives. Um, and I'll, I'll confess, it's true for me, it's true for the church. Um, you know, we, we share things in our lives to a certain point, right? Um, you know, when we need to dig deeper, when we need a listening ear, when we need someone who's going to understand, we need to confess, well then, you know, then we stop. Because we're afraid. We've probably been burned in the past. We're afraid to, to share what probably should be shared for our own healing and reconciliation because boom, as soon as we say it, we know it's going to be out there to everyone who probably shouldn't know about it in its current form. And so the, the gossip train starts and it creates further hurt and pain. 
And so we just we barricade our hearts from our closest friends, from family even. Cut ourselves off from real gospel transformation. Family, we need the Spirit of Christ. We need the Spirit to soften and tenderize our hearts toward one another. We need the Spirit to break down our pride, our independence, our fear of how other people are going to respond. And the Spirit's going to do this. He is powerfully at work in and through the Word, in and through our prayers for one another. For us to live and operate as the family of God um, is to grow towards maturity in Christ. This has to be a safe place uh, to have those conversations of repentant faith, speaking the truth in love. So we're a family, children of the living God, the bride of Christ. And as we come together and we, as we function uh, as a church, uh, Paul tells us that we're a building, a holy temple uh, in which God dwells. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And a few verses later, do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So the church, consisting of individual believers, is described using these building terms. You and I, as, as believers and Christ, are individual buildings. They were little temples in which the Holy Spirit dwells. But together, you know, as a, you know, we're stones in a much larger spiritual house uh, in which the redemption of God is, is seen, is represented. 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 and 5. It says, As you come to Him, that is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If you've ever uh, done any sort of remodeling in your home, done it here at the church, where you've put up the drywall, and then you have the, the, the plaster that you smear in the drywall that fills in the cracks, smooths it out, so that you can you know, finish it however, however you desire. Well, as God relates to us as a building you know, by, by filling us with His presence, making His glory known through us. So we're built off of, of Christ, the cornerstone. We talked about that last week. It's the Spirit of Christ that holds us together, that cleans us up. We reflect more of Jesus to the world. So I think when most of us use the word church, or think of the church, we are thinking of this place, of a particular place, in a building. You know, you go to, to such and such a church, or our church is located right in the, the east side of the Sylvan Hills High School track. That's, that's where our church is. Um, that's true. That's often how we describe the church um, in reference to a, a meeting place or what's done in that meeting place. Um, so the church as the, the building of God in all places is associated, naturally connected to a specific place. So we mentioned last week that when the, when the people of God gather together, large groups, small groups, the church is fully represented God is worshipped, the Spirit is, is present, working through the Word. And yet, though the church is fully represented, it still remains a local representation. 
a piece of the larger building that is Christ's church. So we don't have every tribe, tongue, and nation represented here this morning. We're unique in our, in our makeup, unique in our service as a church. And so the gathering of the people of God in this place, identified perhaps with this physical property associated with it, is, has its own personality. Um, do you know that? We're all together, we have our own personality. Um, I mean, it's unavoidable. I think it really highlights the, the beauty, the creativity of our God. And we all come together in this place. There's a small town in central Iowa. It attracts thousands of people every year. And they, they come uh, to uh, observe this massive religious shrine called the Grotto of the Redemption. And uh, a grotto is a cave or a system of caves. And so as you walk through this system of caves, there's, there's nine scenes from the life of Christ. Uh, depicted in this grotto. But what keeps folks coming back is the number of stones and precious jewels and gems that have been used to construct uh, this grotto. I mean, jasper, quartz, geodes, uh, agates, azurites, if that's how you pronounce those jewels. Um, But at every shape and size, tens of thousands of them cemented together uh, to form this structure. There's nothing like it, really. Nothing like it in the world of this size. Right there in West Bend, Iowa. Um, think of the diversity that God has built into the church. Think of the grace of God in, in saving and unifying people in all these different little places into one building. One holy temple in which He dwells. Think, what, what a marvelous grace. What power to take such unique stones and fashion them for His glory. That's what He does in His church. That means something for us, our unique strengths and weaknesses as a local representation. All the ingredients of a a healthy, growing church, a Christ-honoring church, a culture-shaping church, not all, rarely, are those all ingredients found in one place. Um, Where Trinity Fellowship may be strong another local gathering may be weak, and vice versa. Some of the strengths that I've seen among us, our attention to prayer, our desire to pray for one another. There's a hunger for the Word of God in this place. Dependence upon that Word. I've seen hospitality and sweet fellowship even when we live across town from each other. I've seen a willingness to serve in the church and in the community, but we need to keep thinking about how we can encourage and use our corporate strengths for the glory of Christ in this unique place. Okay, one more picture of how God relates to us and how we relate to Him as the church. I think this is the most well-known image. We are the very body of Christ. We're family, we're building unto the Lord, and now we are the body. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, he- gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We know a body is lifeless. It's completely incapacitated without its head. Jesus is the head of the church. So the very life of the church is is found in Him. It's kept in Him. So Christ's presence is manifest 
in the church. Okay, when you want to see what you look like, probably did this this morning, you went and you looked in the mirror. When you want to see what Jesus looks like, you go and you look at the church. The body of Christ with all its unique individual body parts is still one body. You know, as we get older, I think we appreciate more uh, our bodies and the function, how things work together, are supposed to work together. We remember those days when all the body parts work together uh, the way they were supposed to. Uh, it's really been amazing to me as I've watched you know, my dad go through knee surgery and heart surgery all in the same summer. How our bodies uh, compensate, how they get used to one part not functioning as well, you know, sometimes we replace or just ditch the part altogether and go on. You think, hey, you know, we're a body in Christ. You know, why, why can't we do that? Um, you know, we, we don't want to say it, but when things get messy, miscommunication, maybe, maybe we've been sinned against, we've been hurt, then that's kind of what we're thinking. Why don't we just, you know, amputate right here? You know, this individual, this family, that'd be a lot easier. Um, but here's the deal. <laughs> you are a necessary part, a necessary body part in the body. And so am I. The church is, is living. It's, it's organic. We don't have the option of prosthetic limbs in the church. Lifeless pieces in the body. No. Each part is connected r- relationally, spiritually needed for the health of the body. I want you to try something here. Turn the person to your left and to your right or behind you, the closest person near you, uh, and tell that person sitting next to you, I need you to live. Go ahead. All right. Now, did that feel a little awkward? I need you to live? Yeah. Well, if you're thinking, boy, I hope I don't ever have to do that again, um, then praise God that he is not done working in the church. Um, we need his spirit, don't we? Nothing more true than what you've just said. Katie and I attended a marriage retreat a while back, and one of the, the main messages from that retreat uh, went like this, like, like blood to the body is communication uh, to marriage, so you have to communicate well, not just to survive but to thrive in marriage so i want to change that metaphor just slightly this morning like blood is to the body is the holy spirit to the church the spirit of christ gives us life and strength and when and when there's pain and injury i mean that's that's where the blood goes right to that spot holy spirit actively working to mend the body maybe there are other ways you can fill in that blank like blood is to the body so Fill in the blank is to the church. Prayer is to the church. So what are your strengths? How is God working in you to encourage and build up His body? You know, I hope that we can appreciate and rejoice in the gifts that God has given to us and to others. Helping each other see our gifts. Each one is contributing to the body. In a few weeks, we're going to send out a survey through our Breeze tool um, that asks some questions about 
uh, your gifts and areas that you may be uh, willing to serve. Many of you are serving in multiple ways, sacrificially. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, for others, it wouldn't hurt to give some more thought to this. Um, how are you, as a body part, contributing to the health of the body? Um, so be on the lookout for that. It'll be a few weeks yet. Uh, but please take that seriously when it's available. Another way we apply this metaphor of the body is in our everyday lives together. When one, one part is hurting, the whole body hurts. When one is rejoicing, we are all rejoicing together. I mean, our sin-scarred nature wrestles with this. Okay, we, we get envious, we get jealous of the health or the function of another body part. You know what I'm talking about. Um, how quickly we forget who we belong to. And that we are who we are as one body in the Lord Jesus. We need each other. Something should feel weird. Something should feel wrong for the Christian who is separate from the body. Single body part is not going to live long on its own. It wasn't made for this. Christians, we, we cannot live on our own and expect any real degree of health, relationally, spiritually. We must engage in each other's lives. Certainly not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Encouraging one another, coming alongside each other uh, as the body, the building, and the family of God until our King returns. So in your sermon note space there, you should see a small paragraph. There's three sentences. We uh, read these together last week, and I'd like to end our time this morning by doing that again as we work this truth into our hearts. Please read along with me. The church is a delight to the heart of God and the recipient of His love. The people of God bear witness to His salvation in Jesus Christ and are the embodiment of His intention for the world. Let our worship be unceasing as we proclaim His grace and redemptive purposes unto the ends of the earth. Father, we do pray that You would work this truth into our hearts, confirming, assuring us of your great love, the perfect husband, the perfect father. Lord, you have knit us together uniquely, specifically to be here in this time, in this place. Grow us in grace. Grow our understanding of those gifts that you've entrusted to us and how to encourage one another in using those gifts. May this be a place of, of safety and mercy and grace where we can share life together in a way that brings honor and glory to you. We offer this all in Jesus' name. Amen.